Father in heaven, thank you again for the chance to study the Word of God. Thank you for the blessing of the spirit of prophecy. Thank you that the Word, it makes it very clear about the times that we are living in. And thank you that it also makes it very clear that you've promised to be with us, that you have promised to strengthen us and help us to make it through the times that are coming by our trust and faith in you. And Father, I pray that you will bless us once again through the leading of your Spirit. May your Spirit be speaking through me, and once again give each of us here ears to hear you speaking to them and to us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a, class, a question in the class yesterday that uh, was asked, and I said I knew the question was coming. I'm not sure whether I completely answered it. I implied that I answered it. Um, I might have to send somebody on a mission, and it's always nice to be able to send a pastor on a mission because, anyway, I, I don't know if there are any more chairs around or not. Um, it looks to me like we have one or two more fill empty, so... Anyway, just kind of keep an eye on it, Chuck, and if it looks like there's two or three people standing out there and the chairs are full, you might steal from maybe in that class there. I borrow, borrow. Go for to Emmanuel because they're not functioning right now until after this class. So that you can borrow from them and that'll work just fine. You might have to go to the other door. I think they locked that one. The other door, yeah. The other other door. That might be why they lock it, that's true. Yeah, might be why I lock mine. All right, so here was the question yesterday, basically my summary of that question. And I'm trying to find the person who was asking it. I don't know who was, okay. Okay, are there not more, are there materials that you need? Okay, oh, well that's because I'm hogging them right here. Would you mind taking those and and then put them back by the door back there. The, the, the gatekeeper will keep them. <laughs> I appreciate people volunteering and helping. It makes it possible to do more than one thing. So, here was the question. The question was, after the close of probation, what happens with us? Those who have expressed faith in God, are we... Perfect. Sinless. Where are we in this? What does that all mean? We're going to hit a little bit of that today, and I want to summarize that. Um, if we don't naturally come to it here, I want to talk about it a little bit more in, uh, more in depth. Um, Actually, what I want to do, let me rephrase that. Let me bring up the previous class, and I want to touch on some notes that... We will come to that. I want to answer that question because I know that that's kind of a burning question and it gets all kinds of theological direction out there. But I would like to give you a synthesis of the shaking to start with. Yesterday we were talking about the ceiling. 
Before that, we were talking about the message that the uh, true witness gives and the work that he's doing in our hearts. I want to remind you that the focus of the three angels' messages, especially the third angel's message, is the message of justification by faith and righteousness in Christ by faith. And he and sanctification by faith. It's all by faith. It's nothing of my works. But we've talked a little bit about the, the, the perspective. Alan White says we've heard so much about love and faith. We've heard nothing about works. We've got to hear something about that as well. That's part of what this preparation class is all about. Trying to put this all in perspective for us and understand what that means. Stay with me. We're going into the shaking now, and what's that all about? Every member will be tested, says Luke. There's going to be a trial of faith called the shaking or the sifting. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. You know, I, I, if, I, if I didn't believe in God, I'd say there's an awful lot of coincidences going on out there. But this morning, the pastor who was speaking to our devotional time was talking about a grain of wheat and what it's like to be a grain. I never thought about being a grain of wheat. <laughs> but he was talking about what it would be like to be a grain of wheat when, when the chaff is taken off of it. And he was describing how, you know, if you're a grain of wheat and, the, and you're going to get this the Lord put a nice protecting cover over the grain of wheat, but in order to get rid of that so people can eat it, you've got you to either run it over with a, with a um, sledge, or not a sledge, but a, 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 something they drag behind animals or whatever. Or you, I mean, you've got to go through a lot of pain to get that there. But the process is such that you are cleaning off that which is not valuable at that particular time. Well, that's what's going on with us. This whole time of sealing and shaking is the time in which God is preparing His people for the return of Jesus. And it means there's going to be some, some winnowing and, and chafing going on because the chaff has got to be gotten rid of. That chaff might be, if we're not faithful to the Lord, it might be us. Or it might be something in my life that I've got to allow Jesus to get rid of. And I have to be willing to do that. And there's pain in that process. We've talked about it. But there comes a time when every member is going to be tested. And it, the analogy from the grain uh, to a uh, winnowing of grain to a separate good grain from husk is in the Bible, and it's God speaking to us of that process we go through. The time of shaking, the time of sifting. The object of the shaking time is to remove the chaff. Remember, we're in the great controversy. How many sides are there in the great controversy? Two. Two. Only two. That's God's side and Satan's side. Nothing else. The challenge, of course, is that Satan's side can look like anything, right? It can even pretend to look like the real thing. But it can look like anything. And he, that's what the Bible tells us. There's everything of all kinds out there. 
All of these are out there in variations, but there's only one true side on God's side, one true perspective on God's side. There's nothing else. So God has this work going on that is clearing out everything that's false out of our lives because we're preparing for where? We're preparing for heaven. We're preparing to live with God for eternity. There's not going to be any sin there. Did you know that? Would you want to go there if there was sin? That's why we're going to heaven. That's why we want to be there. Because that's where Jesus is. And where Jesus is, He does away with all of that sin. He wants to cleanse that all away. And He's preparing us now for that time. Volume 4 of the Testimonies, page 51, makes this statement. God is now sifting His people, testing their purposes and their motives. Many will be but as chaff, no wheat, no value in them. Wow. That summarizes where we're going today, what God is trying to do for us, what the process is like. So let's talk a little bit about the causes of the shaking. What brings it about? First of all, it's carelessness and indifference. Folks, it's possible for us to say we love Jesus, but not listen to his voice. It's possible for us to say we're Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but become very careless about the life that we live, thinking that he doesn't care about these things. If you heard Wes Peppers this morning, he was talking about the Sabbath. It's possible to get very careless about the Sabbath. We think that it's okay to be like the world and yet just go to church on Sabbath and that's enough. We believe the seventh day is the Sabbath, okay? Point there, I get one point for that. I go to church on Sabbath and uh, I even go to Sabbath school, so I get two points for doing that. When potluck has taken place, I get another point for that. So I'm up to four points now. Really? I really appreciated what he was talking about when he was reminding us of the fact that this is about my relationship with Jesus. Why do I not go out to eat on Sabbath? Because my relationship with Jesus is not spending other time with other people. And Jesus said, I don't, I don't want you to be tying other people down by, by employing them and doing that kind of work. I, I don't want that to happen. We get careless in our Sabbath keeping. Alan White warns us about guarding the edges of the Sabbath. And it's, it's easy to struggle with that. I understand that. But, you know, we prepare for the Sabbath when the sun sets. The previous Sabbath. Right? I appreciate that. You can tell. I really appreciate the perspective. Carelessness and indifference. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about caring about my relationship enough with Jesus that it is my priority. That's why the Sabbath is my priority. That's why I don't work on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is my priority, because it, Jesus is my priority. My relationship with Him is number one. I want that to be there. I want my family to be part of that. I want that perspective where those are the focuses of my life. All right, keep going. Victorious. We have prayed and agonized to gain victory over sin. We looked at Hebrews chapter 12. 
And Hebrews chapter 12 says, we've not yet really agonized against sin. The causes of the shaking are that people have not done this. They've not spent time with Jesus. They've not agonized over sin. They're not even sure that sin is sin. And in this world today, they're not sure that sin is sin. What is sin? Well, I'm not so sure. Is sin real? Is there such a thing as sin? Well, it certainly can't be this, because that's what I do, and I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're going on and on with that, but the truth of the matter is the Word of God has the answer right here. And God faithfully tells us what sin is. And the Spirit of God clarifies that in our hearts and our minds. By coming to Jesus, He's the one who's promised to tell us what sin is and what He wants to take care of us. Careless and the indifferent are shaken out of the church because they have not made this focus in their lives the purpose of gaining victory over sin. Persecution because of enforcement of the Sunday law begins to come in as part of the shaking experience. There's a large class that are not firm in faith and therefore they abandon the truth under that persecution. It's easy to be able to put on a mask and pretend that you love Jesus and that you want to be on the side of Jesus. It's easy to do all that until it begins to cost you something. Until it begins to cost you your financial strength, the home you lived in, the car you drive, the job you have, your life, your health. When those things begin to come up and at stake, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, when those things begin to become um, attacked and under persecution, then you really do have to decide whether or not you trust God and are going to allow Him to carry you through. Members will be individually tested. This is not a group test as a church. Those loyal to God will boldly witness and others will yield up the faith. That's the shaking time. That's what will happen. That's what will deal with these things in our lives and will affect our lives. We will have to make a decision by ourselves. We may see even our family members turn and leave us we may find that our church members that we thought were the strongest in the church will actually betray us. We'll find that we are on our own in our relationship with God and in following the truth. What is another cause of this? The rejection of the Laodicean message. The true witness is coming to us and pleading with us to repent and to surrender that we're not rich and increased with goods. We're not wearing the garment that we're supposed to be wearing. We can't see like we should. And the Jesus has been knocking at our door, daily knocking at our door, constantly knocking at the door, asking for us to surrender these things to Him. But some will reject that message. They're unwilling to repent and conform their lives, and instead they will rise up against it and be shaken out. Is the shaking going on in your church? Yeah. Is it going on when something arises in your church 
And the pastor takes again a, a stand against something. I'm not going to name anything right now, but he stands up against something that clearly we as Seventh-day Adventists believe. Clearly we understand that that is not appropriate. It's a violation of God's commandments or it's a violation of uh, basic principles of this or that. And we know it's clearly there. Is the shaking going on when the pastor stands up against that, even preaches from the pulpit on Sabbath morning to the Seventh-day Adventist congregation about that, and out of the congregation on Sabbath morning, people start to rise up against him. Is that the shaking going on? It should always be presented in love. It should always be presented truthfully and honestly. But is the shaking going on when we don't support the church, when the church has to take a stand against sin, when the congregation is standing up, one of the biggest pains of my heart is when I hear a church bickering and fighting over issues that come before it, and the church has to go into business session because somebody, all right, I'll use an extreme, somebody is robbing banks, and people want to defend the right for people in the Seventh-day Adventist church to rob banks. And so they start arguing about this in a business meeting when it's clearly a violation of God's commandments. That tells me the shaking is going on. There's a superficial knowledge that causes many to be deceived by false doctrines. Our knowledge is so shallow. That's why, as a ministerial director, I see people struggling with this today. And I can tell that the shaking is going on in people's lives. And I say, Lord, help us. Help these people to get into their Bibles. Help me to get into my Bible, to know the truth, so that that doesn't happen to me. Help our people to realize that just because somebody comes on with, with a, a really good argument that sounds really good, it doesn't mean they're right. And we should expect this confusion to rise up. False doctrines mixed with uh, truth, mixed with error, unbelief, lead those who have failed to study or who studied superficially to be deceived or to yield up their faith. It's happening now. The shaking's going on now. I say that, I want you to understand there, there's a shaking process, and we'll look at a little bit of this in a moment. I'll come back to it yeah, in the next slide. And I, I want to make sure that you understand there is an ongoing shaking process, but then there comes a time in which it really all comes loose. You get that? You understand that? There can be that little process where it's going on, and then there's the, the time when it all breaks loose. The subtle deceptions of spiritualism will cause many to yield. I'm going to talk more about that in a few moments when we look at some of the aspects of spiritism that's getting into our church. Ellen White says that now is the shaking time. In other words, we're living in this time of the shaking, this ongoing process. It's not that we just have to wait for the future and these things that are going on now don't matter. We, God is setting the stage for this. The time when this will all break loose. But as these things are happening around us now, the doctrinal challenges that we're experiencing and the differences and the challenges that we experience with this, this is that ongoing shaping time. But what begins to happen when it all begins to come together at one time? That's the shaking time. 
Ellen White tells us it has commenced and it's even a more real way today than it was then. So let's talk a little bit about how to be, how to avoid being shaken out. It's okay to be shaken, but not shaken out. You want to be shaken in, but let's not get confusing now. All right? Because the shaking process shakes people out of the church, takes them and leads them away from keeping their, their roots grounded on the Word of God and in the spirit of prophecy. That's one of the reasons that the spirit of prophecy is so attacked. Because the spirit of prophecy helps to accentuate the message that Jesus gives in Revelation 3, the Laodicean message, and makes it clear. The trouble with Ellen White is that she tells it like it is, and once in a while she steps on my toes. That's the problem. So Paul warns us to take heed. We need to listen to the voice of God speaking. Rather than being upset with a pastor for the message that he shares or the elder, we have some tremendous leaders, lay leaders in our church. Many of them are sitting right here now. Others are scattered around the campground. They get up and they, they preach and the Spirit of God uses them. And they preach the truth as it is in the Word of God. So whether it's the pastor or one of the lay leaders in the church who get up and speak the truth, rather than trying to find a way to... Uh, to um, to justify my sin, maybe I need to say, wait a minute, Lord, are you talking to me? What is it that I need to learn from what you just said? What this brother just said? I don't like what he said, Lord. I don't like it. But if he's right, it may be me that he's speaking to. <coughs> Take heed. By prayer, Bible study, service, and sacrifice, main con maintain contact with Jesus with heaven. Take your Bibles and look at Romans chapter 5. I love this passage, my wife's favorite passage. So I don't mind reading it again because it's my wife's favorite passage. I'll have to do this. Romans chapter 8. I have to make sure she listens to this recording, right? <laughs> Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 35 through 39. We just want to keep this in, in perspective because this is the time we're talking about especially. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall shake us out? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That is that final time of tribulation. As it is written, for your sakes we were killed all day long are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Keep that in perspective and in relationship to answering the question that I started with and that I want to end today's period with. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created being, thing, I'm sorry, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a wonderful promise that we hang on to that, is, that Jesus has given to us, that Paul has spoken to us that we might understand He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us alone at any point. By the way, that verse, those verses really do answer the earlier question, but we'll look at it more in depth. Right, and what you said earlier, as far as persecution goes, and you may lose your job, and you may lose your 
I think my greatest fear was being a mother of young children. And I must have been a lot older, but when my kids got old enough, I actually sat them down and told them that there could come a day where they may take them away from me. Mm -hmm. And I prepared them. You know, this is something when they think that's drastic, but I wanted them to know that if they're separated from me because of my love for Jesus, that someday we can back together again. But I could not, you know, I did what to say down. That would be the biggest trial for me. And the devil knows it. And those are the kinds of trials that are coming. So I'm going to repeat what you said just so that we understand. Uh, you were talking about setting your children down when they were younger and reminding and letting them know that things could happen, that we could break up the family if those kinds of things happen, that you intend to stand for Jesus and you encourage them to do the same. You know, when I read some of the stories of what's happened during um, the uh, World War II and even during communism and all of that and how that children have had been required uh, and, and required by circumstances to take stands for Jesus and how they do so and so faithfully when their father is taken off to prison and they've got to make a decision whether they're going to go to school on Saturday, Sabbath or not. They've got to make those decisions and God has used godly parents to prepare them for those experiences. So even though you prepared them and it didn't happen, does that mean you shouldn't have prepared them? That's right. And it won't be for... It won't be for, yeah, it's, it, it's not to scare people. Th th this is not in the Bible to scare us. This is to remind us that when it happens, we were told it was going to happen. So thank you very much. In trial and perplexity, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is how we avoid falling, keeping in step and harmony with the message. No compromise of principle or doctrine along the way. This is where we begin to get in trouble, where we compromise this or compromise that, or the world does this or the world does that, and we need to keep in tune with the world. I had somebody, don't remember who it was, but they said that they uh, had come from uh, another place, another place, and they, they said that they just, their, their experience as God's people got together in that place was and I'm not I'm, you know I'm not naming anybody for for a reason but they just realized that something was going because of, of what they were hearing you don't know what I said and what I'm talking about so I'm being very careful here and so they went up to a leader and said why why is this going on and the reason is because we need to do this in order to be able to attract people to us that's where the compromise begins to come in and begins to seem like we're on the right track. Okay, I'm going to take an observation, and I, I always like to. Got a little bit of a challenge with time today, but go ahead, please. And this is going to be a hard question. Mm -hmm. You probably won't want to address it, but, and that's okay, but think about it. Okay, with the shaking. Mm. Is the shaking going to be over what we talked about yesterday, um, Sabbath, uh, Mark and how do we know what principles or doctrines? And today, it's ordination of women, it's um, the Trinity, and to me that's an obvious But what, what just recently came up in my church was abortion. Mm -hmm. and, and when does life begin? Does it mm -hmm. begin when, you, when a yep. baby takes a breath yep. after it's born? Mm -hmm. And I'm a labor and delivery nurse, so I've 
stand by eight even these babies that were born in the heart of Jesus. Um, so what do we do with that? What? Let me let me say that yes, I need to address it. I may address it more generally, but I might do so very specifically. We're coming. Okay. okay? No compromise of principle or doctrine along the way. Yielding principle in daily life opens the way to yield under pressure. That's why I gave you the illustration yesterday of a, of a lady that I worked with and, and the issue of uh, drinking coffee and caffeine and all of that and the process with her. Why is that important? It's because maybe it's a small thing, but it's setting the stage for the big things. And she learned victory over that, and she realized it was wrong. She knew it hurt, it was hurting her. She knew the experience. She was getting headaches from it, right? So, I mean, that tells you something's not right, right? And so she, she reacted to that situation positively by trusting the Lord to deal with it. But she was faithful in that matter. That means as the things get better and bigger in her life, she will be able to deal with them. We must also love the truth. I want to make sure that this is one thing is clear. The church will not fall. Sinners will be sifted out. People love to argue about this. This gets back to a little bit of the angel on the pen of a pen. You know how many can fit on the... Ah, please. The, the, the church will not fall. So the question is, uh, is it the church now with headquarters in, in Washington, D.C.? Is it... Okay, I, all I know is that the church won't fall and that God's people will remain solidly in the church. Whether I get to go to a church building or not, as this process goes on, probably not. I'm running for my life. In most cases, that's what the Bible makes clear. The Spirit of Prophecy talks about us, tells us that we're going to look here about getting out of the cities and moving out and all of those processes. So maybe the church will look like a group of believers together, but the church will not fall. The church didn't fall during communism, even though it was attacked and, the, and all the things that took place, but the church still remained there. All right, I, I can't get into that a lot more. The sinners will be sifted out, and that's good. So let's talk a little bit about the loud cry and the finishing of God's work in relationship to these issues and kind of put it together. God's program of revival, reformation, sealing, shaking, the loud cry, the latter rain, and the loud cry. That's his program, his process by which he's finishing the work. There's a revival that takes place. That revival leads to reformation. The reformation leads to that final sealing process. Remember, we said the sealing is ongoing, correct? But there comes a time when we, that sealing is completed, is done, and we get to the point of the close of probation. Coming up on that in a moment. The shaking. This leads to the shaking, and I say leads to in terms of sequence of events. And then with that is the latter rain bringing this all together and the loud cry. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, is God's last message. There is no more message to follow. And Revelation 18, verses 1 through 4, is just that loud, that the fourth angel coming out and accentuating that message, taking it forward. But those are the last warnings to the world that God is giving to the world. 
The message closes with great power, Revelation 18. And there is a loud cry and the whole world knows what's going on. The issues now become clear. They're not just a little bit about, you know, um, something that we've talked about in church, but you go out of church and nobody else knows about it, nobody's heard about it. No, it's going to be in the news. It's going to be all over um, the world. Everybody is going to know what's going on, and there's a struggle going on between the Seventh-day Sabbath and the Sunday non-Sabbath. It envelops the Word. The Word of God is, is the focal point of what's happening. And the loud cry, the message of righteousness by faith, is that which is completing this work because it's leading us to, to rest totally and completely on Jesus. That is the cry that's going to be going forward. The message will arouse persecution which um, brings its benefits. Its benefits... Opposition to truth brings to its people, to, uh, brings it, the truth and the message, to the attention of the people. When the early Christian church, Acts chapter 8, first few verses, Stephen was preaching in chapter 7, right? And as he's preaching, he is, um, he's, telling the truth, the Spirit of God comes upon him, it raises up anger, it raises up persecution, they take up stones to stone him, and that comes to the attention of Saul. Saul realizes that something's going on here, but he doesn't understand what's happening. He's standing there as they throw their coats at his feet, and then they stone Stephen. In chapter 8 and verses 1 through 4, we begin to see a transition take place. The transition was things were nice and comfortable, more or less. And now persecution rises up at the hands of Saul. Saul is so upset about all of this, he's going to get rid of all of those so-called Christians. He's going to deal with all of them. So he starts taking that, that uh, message of his own of destruction out and finally gets to Damascus. What does the Bible tell us? That as that began to happen, began to happen, the message began to spread. Why? Because it became something that everybody knew about. If it's just you and I sitting in the church on Sabbath morning, me sitting in the church on Sabbath morning, and we're just talking about the message and whatever, nobody else is paying attention, they don't really care. But when it gets on CNN News and Fox News and everybody knows about it because of the persecution that's going on, all of a sudden everybody wants a piece of this. Even in the struggles, the, the, um, the rights of people struggles, whether it's dealing with racial issues or it's dealing with sexual issues or all that kind of thing that's going on. And again, I'm not talking about the rightness or wrongness of any of that. I'm just talking about as those things came about, they began to come to the surface in society, and society begins to see those, and they have to wrestle with it, they have to make decisions about what they believe about that and what stand they're going to take. That's what's going to happen. Call that a benefit of persecution. Sunday enforcement also advertises the truth of the Seventh-day Sabbath. So while one is going on, the other is going on. 
while the persecution, while we're finding it difficult to keep the Sabbath, the rest of the world is finding out, I didn't know that there was a discussion going on. I never knew that was going on. You know, most of the world out there is not Christian. Has no Christian connection. Never heard the name of Jesus. And for them, they're going to say, wait a minute, what's this Sunday thing? Who's Jesus? All of a sudden, these things are coming to the front because of what people are experiencing in terms of persecution. There will be counterfeit revivals and false religious fervor. This is part of the shaking process. Um, folks, you and I need to be careful today. Because there's a lot of things going on in the church as well as outside of the church that seem to look good and sound good and use the name of Jesus a lot but are not standing up for what the Bible really teaches. I want you to know that Satan believes in Jesus. Did you know that? He believes in Jesus. He's happy to let you use the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the Bible, New Testament story, Jesus' experience with His disciples. And they were out trying to cast demons out. And the trouble was, it wasn't, no, it wasn't, it was, it was later on, sorry, it wasn't in the New Testament, that part of the New Testament. It was during, it was either Paul or Peter, I'm trying to remember which one right now. Stories is coming to my mind. And in that experience, what happens? Somebody's trying to cast out demons, and it was Paul, and not Paul trying to do it, but somebody else taking on his name. Was it Simon, or what was his name? It's come, yeah, Simon Magus, that's it, that's the one. He's trying to cast them out. And the demons are saying, look, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Because he didn't know Jesus. If you try to claim to know Jesus and stand up for Jesus, the devil knows whether you know Jesus or not. And the truth of the matter is, using the name of Jesus is not impressive. But following Jesus and all that he teaches is impressive. I believe there are things going on in the church today. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, praise the Lord. If you know what I'm talking about, I'm, I'm telling you I believe this shaking process is going on in our church. And it's taking all kinds of different forms, and people are taking sides, and people are saying, oh, these other things don't really matter anyway, so we need to do that. And that's the clearest warning that we're headed for trouble. Spirits will work miracles. There will be great deception, including false revivals. The condition, conditions necessary for the work to be finished are number one, sanctification. When you read in Joshua and in Zechariah, you know that the Spirit of God wants to be poured out upon us so that He can strengthen us and help us. It's not by might or by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It also not only is that sanctification experience that I have with Jesus, but it's also that experience that leads me to activity. 
The day must end, folks, when on Sabbath morning, the personal ministries leader reminds everybody that they've been planning an outreach event into the community for Sabbath afternoon, and there are 100 people in church that Sabbath, and two people show up afterwards to go out. The activity that we're talking about is soul-winning activity. It's the experience in our lives. The parable of the talents should tell us that Jesus wants us to use the talents and the skills that he's given us and not hide them down in the ground. He wants us, if we're ten talent, five talent people, he wants us to be ten talent people and use that to the best of our ability. If we're five, two talent people, he wants us to use those. If we've only got one talent, I don't even like that. If I'm blessed enough to have one talent, and we all are blessed enough to have one talent, there's nobody in that parable that has no talents. We all have talents. Jesus wants us to use those talents for Him. He wants us to be involved in activity for Him. That can take many different forms. In the deacons and deaconesses class this morning, we're talking about the myriad ways that we can share our faith, that we can be involved in the community and meeting the needs of people. And I'm not just, I, I used that illustration earlier about going out and Sabbath afternoon. But there are many different ways that we can be doing that work and, and involved and involved in activity. My real burden is not how many people go on out afterwards, but my real burden is that nobody does anything outside of church. Now that's a problem, okay? Or not enough people do it. So we need to be involved in that. Those are conditions necessary for that. That's evidence that Jesus is working in my heart and my life. I've got enough burden to care about people that I want to share that faith in some capacity. And I can learn how to do it in ways that I might feel uncomfortable about. So the shaking process is an ongoing experience in the church affecting God's people, leading them to a deeper relationship with Him or chasing them out. That's what's going on. When the shaking's going on, we need to be on our knees more, not less. Then, what about the world in crisis? The world coming into a time of crisis. The persecution of God's people begins to intensify during this time. I'll give you a scenario. With what's going on in society today and the stands that society has taken within the last couple of years in relationship to what's moral and what's not, we're beginning to see what this can begin to look like. It's on the surface, but it won't take long for it to become a reality. It's just below the surface. Actually, it's right there. And it's only going to take one thing to put it all out there along with everything else. Persecution begins to come to the surface because God's people are standing up against that which is not right, that which is immoral, inappropriate, and is turning its back on the Word of God. It's not because we don't love sinners. It's because Jesus loves the sinner but hates the sin. The sin is destructive. If I don't recognize what sin is, God can't take that sin out of my life. If He takes me to heaven and He takes me with what I think is not sin, and it is sin, who's He hurting? Everybody else, as well as me. 
So he has to make it clear what sin is. But not everybody wants to admit that sin is really sin. Today we have genetic excuses for sin. And I haven't quite figured out why if my genetic sin is robbing banks, that why I have to go to jail for that. But if, my, if your genetic problem is this, you should feel free to do it and nobody should be able to even talk to you about it. What's wrong with my genetic disposition to robbing banks that makes my genetic disposition to robbing banks worse than your genetic disposition to immorality? Or is the problem sin? The sin that Jesus wants to be able to take care of in my life. And when I start to stand up against the sin that's now popular... And let me tell you, it is popular. I'm getting reports back from people, you're hearing them as well, of kids who say, uh, you know, um, uh, a pastor, I heard this from a pastor, coming to him and saying, you know, um, is it really wrong for me to, to take the stand against immorality and sexuality like this? Because you know what, if I really want to be popular, I need to come out. That's what's happening out there today. I want to be popular, so therefore I've got to be this way. Really? And that's, see, sin is now popular. And when sin's popular, it's okay to do it. And then, okay, I'm getting off here. That leads to persecution because it's popular to break the Sabbath. It's popular to be immoral. It's popular to do these things. And when I resist it, that begins to offend me. That begins to say, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm not good enough because I believe that this is okay to do. And I'll, that's not the point. Well, that is what you're saying. And because of that, I'm going to beat you up or I'm going to throw you in jail. or I'm going to make it illegal for you to do that. And I'm, isn't that what's happening today? So persecution is used by Satan. He uses the Sunday law as a way to persecute against the truth. Revelation chapter 13 makes that clear. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, we are told that the persecuted receive a blessing from God. So while this is going on, God's not abandoning us. He's still there with us. But most of us don't like persecution. But it is... God's reminder to us that He will bless us and He will care for us. Persecution, according to Volume 5 of the Testimonies, is progressive, and it comes from all directions. When, when you and I begin to see what's happening here, we're not even into the Sunday Law issue yet, and you can see by what's happening the kinds of things that are going on. Did you know that if up in Canada... Anybody here from Canada? Okay, I mean, as in live in Canada like right now? Okay. Tell me, am I right or wrong? If I stood up on, uh, at a event, public evangelistic meeting and I started talking about the fact that, um, that the book of Revelation talks about the beast and this is who the beast is, and, and I start talking about a particular denomination, especially if I wanted to do that on the radio, that I could be in trouble. Am I right or wrong? Okay. I, I mean, you understand radio, and right? That's, that's the challenge. Now, we, you know, the way you solve that problem is you have a radio station in Newberry, 
and Newberry broadcasts over into Canada, and the message still gets out there, and then people, um, you know, a lot of miles away, come back into the United States to get the rest of the truth. That's what's happening, literally happening. Yeah, so it's a real challenge that we face today. This is not something future, it's here now. And it's across the border in a place you wouldn't expect it to be. You expect religious freedom there. But no, wait a minute, everybody's free, but those people, you can't talk bad about them. I don't want to talk bad about people. I just want people to know what sin is. I want people to know what truth is. I want them to understand that Jesus is coming again. But now it's coming to the point where it's illegal to do those things. It may not be quite there yet in the United States, but that's why Ellen White made the statement for us that what we didn't do when we could, we're going to have to do when it's difficult. Folks, we've got a little bit of time left. We should be leaving this place and swarming the state of Michigan or wherever we're from with a message that God still gives us to be able to share. We are running out of time. A large group abandoned the faith. God's people are protected by angels. Praise the Lord for that. God prevents death of the saints after the close of probation. I'm going to get a little bit into that here in just a moment. The focal point is the day of rest. Everybody understand that? This is the point of controversy. Some people want to say, what, what difference does it really make? It again is over whose authority am I following? Sabbath keepers are denounced as lawbreakers. The state and the church unite to stand up against that focal point of the Sabbath and to persecute those who believe that seventh day is, the seventh day is the Sabbath. Protestants will follow in the steps of Rome. They will follow in the steps of Rome. That's what Revelation 13 is all about. Coming to that in a moment. Satan uses spiritism. We want to be kind to our brothers and sisters that inadvertently get caught up in this. But we do need to start taking a stand against what the devil is teaching out there and what's being sold by the media. It's tragic when our young people are caught up in looking after vampires and I already mentioned before Harry Potter and all of those things, it's no longer innocent. It never was, by the way. When we might have thought it was innocent a long time ago, you know, I'm going to tell you, I've watched Wizard of Oz, all right? I've watched Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and, I, and Wizard of Oz. And I thought that was, a, a, you know, just an amazing thing or whatever. Now, this was years ago. And I look back at that and I say, Wizard of Oz. And then I start remembering some of the details of the Wizard of Oz. I said, whoa. See, it was, it was innocent. It was, uh, what was her name? Dorothy. Yeah, well, that was the character, but who played it? Judy Garland, okay. Young, innocent Judy Garland. She's having a dream, and she's seeing all this stuff. The devil uses that to set the stage for us. And every time these things come out again and they remake them, they get darker and darker, and that's not coincidental. 
It's because they were dark in the first place. But Satan has primed the pump so much now that it's okay to be dark. And he's showing his colors slowly, and people don't even realize that the darkness is coming in upon the, upon the land because the Spirit of God is being withdrawn from the land and the devil is able to move in behind it. And when it's happening in the church and people say, oh, it's just innocent fun or it's just this or that. No, it's not. It's life or death. That's not fun. It's serious. We've got to keep, go keep at it. I need to keep going. So, quick comment. I need to speak to that. So thank you for bringing that up because that really is part of what I need to be speaking to. I had somebody ask me about the shack earlier. Uh, my wife actually brought the book home and, and somebody had given it to her. And uh, we started to look at that, and, I, and then I started to do some research uh, and behind it and finding about what people are saying. There's another one that you mentioned was Jesus Calling. Folks, be careful. You start going back and do the research on the person who wrote that and the kinds of ways that she went about doing that. Those kinds of things have their deep root in spiritism. If I'm going to take something on that comes from a spiritualistic source, is that a safe place to go? Apparently, the devil's smart enough to know how to blend that in. Spiritism is coming in many different forms, and it has Jesus attached to it in a lot of places. All right, thank you for bringing that up because that's a, a great warning. We have this whole issue of the emerging church. I'm not even hardly speaking to that because we've had speakers here who've spoken to it. It's a tremendously dangerous area today, but it is part of what's going on in the church, in the, uh, in, in the Christian church at large and in the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's having its impact as well, and it's worked itself into the various forms, including something that I was alluding to earlier that I didn't specifically mention, which some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, we keep going. National trouble charged upon Sabbath keepers. The crisis is universal. Book of Revelation chapter 13. Have your Bibles. Turn to Revelation 13. I keep going over things because of time and wanting to get everything packed into five days and uh, about six hours. But there are times you've got to stop at the Bible and remind us what the Bible's saying. Verses 12 through 14 of Revelation 13. Context is the beast. Make it very, very clear that the beast that exists for 42 months or 1,260 days, the beast is the Roman Catholic Church. Again, this is the system. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the system and that underlies it. And then in verse 11, I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spake like a dragon. In verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that in, he even makes fire come down from heaven in the earth, on the earth in the sight of men, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which it was granted which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. We're talking here 
about the papacy. We're talking about the United States. Those, most of you raised your hand about having been in an evangelistic meetings lately, so I don't need to go through that. If this is confusing you, feel free to talk to me or grab a pastor and talk to them or whatever. But these beasts are the kinds of things that we were talking about on the first day of our class where we began to see the influence that Roman Catholicism has on the United States and the influence that Roman Catholicism has on the world as those things become more and more and more of a reality. The door is open right now. It would only take a slight shift, a slight something, a slight catastrophic, that's not slight, a catastrophic weather event combined with a catastrophic financial event, combined with a catastrophic moral event, whatever. You put those things all together and all the world leaders need is an excuse to take control. But Satan uses Rome and Spiritism and the false prophet, which is apostate Protestantism, in order to be able to bring these things about. We're talking about Revelation chapter 16, which I am coming to here in a moment. If we define this, we find in volume 8 of the testimonies that the seal and the mark... Um, I want to go to volume 8 of the testimonies. Let me see if I can break here for a moment. No, I'm going to have to pass by. If I get time, I'll come back to it, all right? I'm watching the clock. What time did we start? Two o'clock? Ooh. That's a problem. Okay, that's why I got to keep going. Look it up and look there to that to some of those issues there. But the seal versus the mark, we've already talked about the seal and you want to understand what the mark of the beast is, but this begins to draw the line with the Sabbath. Right? This is where that line begins to come in and the death decree comes in. The events that are taking place right here are moving us uh, through the time where probation is still open up to the time where we cross that line and probation is closed. Revelation 22, 11 and 12, if I got the verses correct in my mind. And that reminding us that what is filthy will be filthy still, what is righteous will be righteous still, those are the things, the time when probation closes. What are the demarcations of that line? The demarcations of that line are we are in this time of persecution. We are in the time of the Sunday law, law being, uh, being established and a death decree being established. The world now is now saying that, wait a minute, the Sabbath issue is an issue, and we believe Sunday is the Sabbath, and we're going to tell the whole world that they must keep Sunday, and those people that are keeping Sabbath, they're violating what God wants them really to do. Along the way comes uh, instructions for us. This is all happening at the time that it's time to leave the cities. I think we've forgotten about this instruction. We need to think about it a whole lot more. You know, in preparation for this class, my mind started going back to my early pastor days and, and all when I've been processing that. But you know, you get in the flow of life and you stop thinking and you begin to realize, wait a minute, this is all happening right now. What does this mean? Well, you and I need to be processing that with our families. And I'm not, hey, careful, careful, careful. Don't just go out and flock away. Ellen White warns us of acting hastily and not... That's one thing I appreciate about Ellen White is she's so balanced. 
she's so careful. But we do need to recognize that the time is coming when it won't be safe to be in the cities. It won't be safe to be in the cities. You know, the fact that there are places in the cities that you don't dare go right here, you and I need to know about that tremendous danger. I'm going to kind of ignore right now because I looked at my clock and it's scaring me. So I'll try to come back to it, to it if I can in a moment. The, the, the instructions that we have, there's a time when we must leave the big cities, and then there's going to be a time when we must even leave the small cities. We are going to come to that tomorrow. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Deception via, via spiritism. I talked a little bit about it. We highlighted some of the things there. But what's coming upon us, the miracles by Satan, Satan appearing to be the benefactor of the world at the same time that he behind the scenes is promoting war, disaster, and disease. But up front, he appears like an angel of light. And he's telling people uh, that that he's come here to help save the world. And he's telling, warning people that there are people in this world who seem to be pretty stuck on the fact that the seventh day is the Sabbath. I'm not making this up. You know those of you who've read this. I'm, it's in the spirit of prophecy, great controversy, etc. It's absolutely there. Spiritism is Satan's last masterpiece. He's working this all out to eventually his masterpiece of deception is when he pretends to be Christ himself. You heard what Stephen Bohr said. You can't trust your eyes. You can't trust your ears. You only have the Word of God. The, the deception is overwhelming. Overwhelming. What if Paul stood in front of you? What if Peter came along and said, you know... What if Moses showed up? Well, we know she's dead, but Moses we know is still alive because the Bible tells us. What if he shows up? But yeah, but what if Ellen White shows up? What happens when we are face to face with those deceptions? We all want to be like... We all are afraid we're going to be like Peter. <laughs> I'm not laughing, but Peter constantly said, I'm going to make it. I'm with you, Lord. No problems with me. That goes back to Revelation 3. Imagine the apostles, all 12 of the apostles, including Matthias, not Judas. All of the apostles, Paul, standing there telling us that we've got it all wrong. Fearful sights, including fire from heaven. That's what's going on at this time. The deception via spiritism in, chapter, uh, in, in the chapter in Great Controversy, page 589. The crowning deception that comes from spiritism is Satan appearing to be Christ. And you know, it's nice to think that, well, I've, I, I got it. I, I understand that. I, I'm already ready for it. Everything's going to be okay. I know he doesn't touch ground. So we're, we're good that way. I've got it. I'm good. Peter, you're going to go to jail, you said for me. You're going to die for me. You'll draw the sword for me. Peter, I'm praying for you. But you won't lose your faith in this whole thing because you're going to deny me. 
Now here's the good news. When we're dealing with this period of time, we're crossing over from the time of probation to where there's no probation left. And what is the end result of that? Well, you see what's on the screen. He looks like Christ, impersonates Christ. People say, Christ has come. Satan is being worshipped, but he looks like Christ. So they're worshipping him. And, and like, remember um, Daniel and the three Hebrews? And that whole experience is being repeated all over again. We're standing while everybody else is worshipping. He heals diseases, he preaches deceitfully, he declares that he's changed the Sabbath, but he cannot duplicate the return of Christ entirely. Our protection is in Jesus, not just in the knowledge in our head, by completely being surrendered to him and what's happening. Now here's what I want to do at this point. I want to, I've given you some information, but now I want to bring up what I need to bring out, see if it will work for me, what I was talking about earlier. All right. Uh, let me see if I can enlarge this a little bit so that you might be able to read this. All of these events taking place lead us to a question in our own hearts and our lives, am I ready? We'll talk more about this tomorrow, the final piece, where we put this all together. We'll talk a little bit about the time of Jacob's trouble and the pieces that are there, but I do want to answer this question. When he leaves, that's Jesus, darkness covers the inhabitants of the earth. In that fearful time, the righteous must live in the sight of a holy God without an intercessor. What's the theology for that? The theology is that Jesus has stood up. He's been in the sanctuary all the time. He's been our intercessor, which is what the whole sanctuary message is about. And by the way, the book of Revelation clearly is talking uh, about the sanctuary. The imagery is all there. It's in Daniel. It's in Revelation. It's all through the scriptures. That language is there. So Jesus stands up. That means he leaves the sanctuary. The restraint, restraint which has been upon the wicked is removed, and Satan has entire control of the finally impenitent. All right? The righteous must live in the sight of a holy God without an intercessor. There comes a time when Revelation tells us probation has closed. The righteous will be righteous. The filthy will be filthy still. Satan has control of the finally impenitent. And the righteous are not living without God. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they're living without help from Jesus. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit no longer is available to help them. It doesn't say that. What it says is there's no longer an intercessor and you and I must not sin during that time, but not because, and we won't sin because we are so good, but because Jesus is so strong and we're so totally committed to Jesus. It's not me that's doing this, okay? The restraint which has been upon the wicked is removed. Satan has entire control of the finally impenitent. God's long-suffering has ended. The world has rejected his mercy, despised his love, and trampled upon his law. The wicked have passed the boundary of their probation. The Spirit of God, persistently resisted, has been at last withdrawn. The, with, 
the Spirit of God being withdrawn is because there's no wicked to save anymore. He can't draw them anymore. They've crossed the line. The probation is done. Judgment is completed. Now it's a matter of simply enacting what Jesus has already discovered in that investigative judgment process. Unsheltered by divine grace, they have no protection from the wicked one. Satan will then plunge the inhabitants of the earth into one great final trouble. As the angels of God cease to hold in check the fierce winds of human passion, all the elements of strife will be let loose. The whole world will be involved in ruin more terrible than that which came upon Jerusalem of old. As Satan accuses the people of God on account of their sins, the Lord permits him to try them to the uttermost. Permits them him to try them to the uttermost. Their confidence in God, their faith and firmness will be for severely tested. As they review the past, their hopes sink, for in their whole lives they can see little good. They are fully conscious of their weakness and unworthiness. Satan endeavors to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. He hopes so to destroy their faith that they will yield to his temptations and turn from their allegiance to God. But that doesn't mean that he's successful in doing that. And tomorrow we're going to talk about how when we cross that line from probation to the close of probation, how that this all begins to come together in that final time of trouble and that our total dependence and complete reliance is upon Jesus and upon the Spirit of God to protect us and to care for us. God cannot abandon us. God will not abandon us. Revelation makes that clear. And Romans chapter 3, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 is that wonderful promise that nothing can separate us from Jesus. Nothing except our own choice. And when probation is closed, we have settled in. That's the ceiling. That's what's going on now. That's why we must prepare now for that time because we are preparing to cross that line which is just before us. I don't know how long that can take, but it can happen very quickly. Ellen White says the final events will be rapid ones. They will take place very quickly. So tomorrow, we pull it all together. We cross the line into the, the other side of probation and what to expect during that time and what that looks like. And then we look at the final experience. But I don't want to spoil the end of the story, so I won't tell you how it ends. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, how thankful we are that you have already told us what the end of the story is. I pray that you will help our hearts to be empty of fear in anticipation of what leads up to that time and totally and firmly grounded upon Jesus. We know these things are happening. There's, we see them happening around us. We've talked about some of these things here openly and, and out of kindness, not so openly, because we don't want to focus on Satan and his tricks. We want to focus on Jesus and his solutions. So, Father, as we continue our study of the preparation for the final crisis, we pray that we will be drawn closer to him who is our Savior, who died on the cross for us and lives now to prepare us for his return. In his name we pray. Amen.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.